This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? Are you enjoying the summer? Oh, we're all very quiet this morning. Are you enjoying the summer? Yeah, it's been fantastic. I had an experience uh, coming home on the plane. Uh, as as you, some of you are well aware, um, myself and the family have been privileged to be away on holiday for the last week. And uh, I travelled back and I was sat next to Bartholomew from Manchester. And I was sat next to him on the plane. I thought I'd, we'd give him the window seat and he came in and he sat down. And when he came in and sat down, I whiffed something in the air as he passed me and went to sit down. And yes, it was. It was a load of alcohol. And it turns out I was sat on the plane next to somebody who's full of fear of flying. And so the way that he was using um, uh, substances and chemicals in particular to calm himself down was to uh, fill himself up with that pre-flight and then come and sit next to me on the plane. But the problem is he wanted to speak to me on the plane And we were on a red-eye flight out of Tenerife, and we just wanted, or I just wanted, to get some sleep. But Bartholomew was wide awake. (laughs) He's wide awake, but as well as that, his speech is all... (laughs) Any of you had ever tried to have a conversation with a drunk person? I was trying my best not to have a conversation with a drunk person next to me on the plane. So the trolley comes past, and the trolley comes past, and she said, anybody want anything? And guess what he did? Can I have four Bacardis, please? And two cans of Coke, and she's... But he ordered it, four Bacardis, please? And two Cokes. And so (laughs) these come across, and there's a thing with the money and everything, and we're thinking, okay, are we doing fine? We're doing okay. I said, I'm just going to get some sleep, Bartholomew. Is that okay? Okay. Okay, he says. And so I sit there and get some sleep until from left of shot, I hear Caris shout over the plane in Welsh, because when you're on a plane and you're flying to Manchester, nobody's likely to speak Welsh. dad," she says, which is, watch yourself, dad. So I kind of look across, and Bart is like this. So here we are at 37,000 feet. (laughs) And I'm there on the plane. All I wanted to do was just get some rest and peace and quiet and enjoy the flight. Instead, I've had all this really uncomfortable... I know so much about him. I'll tell you all about him after. All so inconvenient. All I wanted to do is just get some rest and peace and quiet. And next thing... (laughs) It's you! Oh... I have never been so relieved to find somebody sneeze because I thought something else was coming up the shaft, I tell you. And then he dozed off and went to sleep, and so did I. And so for the rest of the plane drive home, flight home, we had just peace and quiet, and it was awesome. How many of you like rest too? And I was looking for an illustration. I prepared this message series some months ago. And what I want to talk to you about today is this wonderful thing that God has given us and planned for each and every one of us to have in our lives too. 
this wonderful thing called rest. In fact, we are looking at this series together called Thrive. What does a thriving Christian life look like? For those of us that have chosen to become Christians and to put Jesus Christ at the center of our lives and to follow hard after Him and obey all the teachings that are here in God's Word, we will live a thriving life if we live according to the manual for life. And so many people are struggling to try and find their way through life, through all the confusion, through all of what they're trying to do, whether it's in their relationships, whether it's in their job, whether it's in their careers, whether it's in so many aspects of their life, when all the answers are to be found in God's Word. And what we've been looking at together over the last six um, sessions as we've been together, looking at stuff like being planted and being rooted and how God prunes us and how we flourish and how all of that comes together, I thought it appropriate that seeing as God on the seventh day rested, that I look at this principle after harvest that we talked about last, that we re-look at this principle of rest, or the Bible word for it is Sabbath, Sabbath, where we get the word sabbatical or to take a day off or to rest that word sabbath simply means rest rest how many of you want to rest i tell you what i wanted a rest at thirty-seven thousand feet but bart was on my case what did i just wanted to say shut up that's what i wanted that's what i was thinking but instead i was a good christian guy thought all of those stuff, hid them in my heart, and said, Lord, will you please just help me out here? I just want to rest. And that's the story of our lives so far, isn't it? And so often is that we want rest too. Turn me to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3. It's a really key verse, Genesis 2, 3. And sometimes we don't live a life that's written in Psalm 23, because we don't live out Genesis 2, 3. We don't find ourselves in that place that's in the valley of the shadow of death. We don't find ourselves living that victorious life that David writes about there, that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you lead me beside still waters. All that wonderful, victorious stuff of our faith that ties into the challenge that Mark and uh, uh, Emily read in the Scripture to us this morning before we break bread to fight for our faith. So often, this is one aspect of our faith that we don't fight for. And as Mark has already taught us and encouraged us this morning, this is gold. It's gold for our souls if we look at this area of rest in a new way. Now, we all know the Old Testament, uh, a lot of the stuff there. In fact, most people, if we were to go out on the pavement today, most people would be able to tell you quite a few of the Ten Commandments that are written down in Deuteronomy for us to understand. And some of them would be able to even tell you, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the day of rest. But I want to take this deeper than just one day. Because I want to go back to the author of the, the Sabbath, because Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's what Jesus teaches us in Matthew. It's for our benefit, not God's. God doesn't need you to show up and to do all the rest. You're the one that needs it. And if you don't, you will break yourself. 
if we do not get rest. If you don't believe me, you try and go without rest. See how long you can go without sleep. In fact, Mark Davis, who's a friend of mine who's in the SAS, the biggest form of torture that is used is sleep deprivation. It's the most powerful form of torture. That's how much we need rest. Genesis 2, 3 says this. Incredible scripture. God had done all of creation over six days. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What a great verse. But maybe we should kind of contextualize that to our life. Then we blessed the seventh day and we made it holy or we set it apart. We made it special. We made one day a week special because on it we rested. We rested from all the work of creating that we had done. All the stuff that you've achieved, all the stuff that we've built up, all that wonderful cabbage patch that you did in the week or whatever it is, or that report that you filed off, or cleaned the house, or I don't know, whatever you've done, put that great door in the door frame, Dan, or whatever you did, or put electric lights on the wall, whatever we did in creating that we rest from all that we have done. Let's pray. Father God, we invite you into our lives and into this space today. Lord, as we focus on your word and look at this area of rest, I pray right now that you'd help us to understand in a new and in a fresh way how important it is for our lives. Lord, speak to us today. Help us realize the reality of God's word that we might thrive and prosper in our lives. Asking Jesus' name, amen. She's 14 years of age, is my daughter, my youngest daughter. And even still today, she says those same words after we've been for a walk. In fact, we're walking on the seafront, 14 years of age she is. And we're walking along the seafront and she says those words when we're about to turn around and head back towards uh, where we're staying. Daddy, can you pick me up? <laughs> I said, darling, A, you're 14. Uh, secondly, you've got a miniskirt on there. It's good line, this is, guys. And I'm pretty sure if I pick you up in the miniskirt, you might be revealing stuff on the rear that might be unsightly. She says, oh, yeah, darko, good one, Dad. I think it survived another one. <laughs> and we walk a little bit. She says, Dad, can you carry me? Oh, Dad, can I have a piggyback? And for 14 years so far, I've never had it from Fionn, because we've always been saying to Fionn, my middle daughter was just like a wild piece of wire, as you know she is, is Fionn, come back, come back here, Fionn. That's always, but with, with Sarah, it's like, oh, can you carry me? Because when we get tired, we run out of energy, don't we? And we run out of energy, so we need carrying. And quite often, a lot of us approach our Heavenly Father in the same way. And we say, God, can you carry me? God, can you pick me up? God, can I have a piggyback? We've all heard the footprints story, haven't we? 
We've all read it on a postcard. If you haven't, you're probably the only person I've ever met in the world that has not seen that poem in a craft shop or on some picture somewhere. If you're listening online and you've never heard it or you're in the church today and you've never heard the footprints poem, just Google footprints and I'm pretty sure it'll be the top hit in images and everything else that'll be there. Footprints about when someone is saying, God, will you carry me? And he did. I'd like to say to you that that poem is only half true. Because God has created us a Genesis 2-3 life so that when we get tired, we rest and we get recharged. The only time that my 14-year-old daughter wants me to carry her is when she's tired. I'm pretty sure after church this morning, if I walked into the atrium, she's on junior church this morning with the rest of the team, I'm sure if I said to her, hey, do you want a piggyback? She'd look at me like with that weird face that teenagers do going like, are you real, dad? <laughs> but at like 10, 11 o'clock at night, that seems to make sense for her because her legs are tired. And so often that's the same for you and for me and so many of us. We are so, so busy, we get tired we get weary, or we get, I remember the kids first used this phrase at me when they were about three, oh dad, I'm stressed. <laughs> How can you be stressed at three years of age? But she was stressed. And we use all of this kind of terminology because most of us live in pretty much a state in a modern life of continual exhaustion. We use energy drinks like Red Bull. We use so much caffeine, it's pouring out of our veins. We all do all kinds of things in order to give us more energy instead of living God's way, which is to have rest. A little lovely in the service this morning where Mark does what he does quite often when he's leading a service or when we come to prayer and praise, that Mark gives a time for rest and reflection. How many of you love that when, when we have those moments here at church? Come on, put your hands up. When you just get two or three minutes just to go, oh, Lord, I come away from the busyness of life and have rest. And what I want to talk to you about at the end of this message is how God has ordained for that to be a way for us to live to avoid a lot of the modern things that are happening in life. I'm going to give you three examples of things that are happening from our lifestyle today. In fact, most of us are working, aren't we? Most of us here at the church work. And in fact, most of us that are working are working harder now and longer now than we ever have done. I'm not saying that. Those are the stats. I remember Mark having a conversation with me once about the European Working Directive and what he has to do in order to get his job done, how he has to work around the European Working Directive, because if he was to work to that, basically he wouldn't have a job. And all of us suffer from this thing, you can Google it when you get home, not so much now absenteeism, but what they're now calling, this is a word, Google it when you get home, presenteeism, of being in the room, but actually absent in your head because we are so overworked we are so give 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 all the time it's what athletes call overtraining that it leads to instead of being fit and match fit or game fit it leads to exhaustion and most of us go to work exhausted and the alarm goes in the morning and instead of saying good morning lord we say good lord it's morning <laughs> How did that 
come around so quickly. Where did... We've gone to sleep and we feel worse getting up in the morning than when we went to bed. Don't we? Because it's relentless is the pace of life. Presenteeism. It leads to a place where we are there, but we're not really there. I've seen dads playing on mobile phone calls, swinging their kids in the park, probably on the phone to the office. They're trying to do two, three things at the same time. They're trying to have quality time with their children, but yet trying to keep somebody at the office happy by swinging instead of maybe just for a minute let that go to voicemail because it leads to the second thing that we can have that happens a lot of the time and the, uh, there's a lot of stuff being done about this with early years learning with children what they call mindfulness of actually being with someone when you're with someone do you know the type the type you see the phone is on the left-hand side, and you might be having a cup of coffee with them. And their phone goes, <coughs> and they have got that look on their face, which is, there's a text message coming. They can't engage with you anymore because they need to check that text. What is it? Probably bad news, but what is it? Because no longer are we in a position that we actually can be present with people anymore. And this is a big problem with children. And try, and if you've got children here, try and encourage children not to multitask. There's actually no such thing. You just brain slice short periods of time between all the little tasks that we're doing. But it's leading to destructive ways of life that don't have any rest for you in it at all. The other thing that it leads to, and I learned a new word three weeks ago on breakfast TV. How many of you get up and watch breakfast TV in the morning? I catch the news there in the morning. But they were talking and introducing me to a new world called smombies. Smombies. Any of you heard about smombies yet? Oh, oh, that was in the Urban Dictionary. I had to look it up to find out what that is. But a smomby is basically someone that is basically walking around on their phone, not paying attention to what they do. Have you seen people? And they slowly turn. You see them in shopping centers. They're walking as if they're zombies because they're on their phones. And in the case of Ruth, when she was on holiday, I saved her from walking into a bollard because she was being a smombie and nearly would have whacked her knee. So put our devices away and give our brains some rest if we can. So I'm trying to just talk about this subject that's very, very practical. We'll take discipline. But I tell you, we're becoming increasingly disconnected in an ever-connected world. And it leads to some destructive things, and I want to just focus on four things, and then we're going to look at some scriptures together and wrap this up. It leads this level of stress that we have in our lives, where we're on the go all the time. And then even when we're on the go all the time, we have to have some me time, haven't we? So the me time that we do is instead of unplugging ourselves, the me time that we'll have will be TV. Oh, oh, i got to have some me time. i got to catch up on Facebook. And none of those things are actually going to help us at all to unplug. So the four things that I want to look at that the effects of this, we become so busy in our lives that the results of living like this mean that fun actually becomes an appointment. It means that fun actually becomes an appointment. Have you met people that are so, so busy 
they're just no fun to be with. They don't see anything funny at all anymore. Quite often when I'm in meetings with uh, various people on the team, I can tell the people that are rested and that are energized and are not suffering with pre presenteeism is because they will be the people that's the most energized in the meeting. When I ask them what's going on, they say, oh, sorry, sorry, what did you say, Phil? They will be the person that has a contribution to make, but as well as that, they'll be the person that will actually not crack up a joke. Because work's fun, isn't it? Work's fun. Work's supposed to be fun. If you can't have fun at work, maybe it's because you've made fun an appointment. That you can't have fun with people in the office anymore. And you can't enjoy one another's company in the tasks that we're doing. Because fun, because of the way that we've chosen to live life, on the go, on the go, on the go, has become an appointment. The second thing that it leads to is instead of celebrating one another's achievements or celebrating one another's lives and all the things, you know, this week we had a, a reveal that uh, Emily is going to have a boy. Way! How cool is that? Okay? <laughs> Obviously, we're so busy at this church that fun has already become an appointment. What, how cool is that? Emily's going to have a baby boy. I think that's great. I would have loved to have had a baby boy three times and it never happened so i'm gonna adopt little baby madge and he's gonna be my little nephew boy and with the other two luke and jacob that i've got because that's great news isn't it yeah. but instead we look and say oh what's that about don't you have a boy because instead of celebrating we become cynical we become cynical about everything oh who she think he is who do they think they are Someone moves into a new house. Ooh, look at them. We become really cynical because of the way that our brains are becoming so, so stressed. We become cynical and competing instead of celebrating everybody else's achievements. Fun becomes an appointment and we become cynical. The fourth thing that it leads to, and uh, I listened to uh, the message from... I went the other day catching up on, on podcast. The other thing that it leads to is instead of us becoming creative, as he speaks about in Genesis 2, 3, that we create things, we copy things. Do you remember um, uh, I went talking about a church that she was aware of that people were no longer attending that church because the pastor was preaching internet downloaded sermons. Can you believe it? Why? I don't know what that pastor's doing, but maybe he needs to go to see somebody and see why he's so, so busy that he cannot find the time to wait upon God himself and to wait on him and to say, God, what is the word for the church that you want me to bring so that I can expire them? Lord, will you, the king of creativity, speak something into my heart that allows me to create life and vitality in other people's lives through the now word for now. And what happens is even in our own lives, we don't become creative at all. We become copying because everything is the quick way to get things done. There's more plagiarism of university papers and thesis and doctorates now than ever there has been. Why? Not because of the internet, 
but because of the stress in people's lives, the deadlines, and oh, I can't get this done, and the whole stress that they're living under. And then the last thing that happens is as a result of the creativity leading to copying, the cynicism taking place instead of celebrating, and fun becomes an appointment, the last thing that happens as a result is friends. Friends actually become something that you watch on TV, like the program, or friends actually become Facebook friends. Because you haven't got time to fill in a cup of coffee anymore. We haven't got time to spend meaningful time with somebody because we, in our own thinking, can't afford the time to just be present because the bandwidth in our heads has just fully run out. We've run out of data because we have no rest in our lives. So I'm going to finish by just talking about three areas of rest that we can build into our lives. Three areas of common rest. And one of them we're used to is just called me time. Can you turn me time in your day, and I'm going to take you all the way back to the start where we talked about truth. Can we, as a church, to commit to turn me time into God time. The last thing you need to do, folks, is to focus on yourselves. I can tell you that now. You'll not find any inspiration from navel-gazing and thinking about yourself. You will not. We, what happens when we do that? We begin to turn inwards and we be begin to think of poor old me and all of what I'm going through. And before we know it, we lose our attitude of gratitude and soon we get bitter and soon we get cynical about different things and, and soon everything begins to become a chore. Can you build some me time into your day and turn it into God time? I'll say this until the day that I die here at this church. It's the best thing I can tell you that you need to do in your lives because this has saved my life, okay? And it's to commit to the first thing in your day. I remember reading Psalm 5, verse 3. Those of, you, those of you that know my story, I read Psalm 5, verse 3. And that's Psalm 5, verse 3, and I committed the verse to memory, and it's become kind of a template in my life for a rule that I live by. In the morning, O Lord, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. What a great verse. In the morning, O Lord, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. And I stumbled across it because at that time, I was telling myself I wasn't a morning person. That I could only fit it in at the back end of the day. And I decided to reorganize and reprioritize my life. And I started with 15, 20 minutes and built it up and built it up slowly over time to where I find myself today living in a place that thousands of other believers down the ages have lived. And thousands of other people across the planet today, which is to start the morning with rest. Start the morning with God. Because the thing we don't notice is that the place to start for Adam was rest. Think about it. Although it was day seven for God, it was day one for Adam. Although it was day seven for God... It was day one for Adam. Adam gets created, and what does God tell him? Rest day. We start with rest. Let's start the day with a small time of Sabbath. 
And then the second thing that we need to do is we need to find a week that we don't, you know, get in, switch off Facebook for a day, or switch off the mobile for a day. Tell people, I don't know, tell, switch the phone off, don't charge it overnight. Don't charge it overnight deliberately. So that the next day, somebody comes up to you and said, I text you, I didn't have a message, and you can say, sorry, I didn't charge the phone. Find a way to build rest into one day a week. And that's why God gave us the Sabbath and gave us a time of rest. It's not that it can be a religious, holy thing that's all about do's and don'ts. Remember, Christine Kane says this, stress is caused by what we don't do, not what we do. Can I say that again? Stress is caused by what we don't do, not what we do. And it's an important part of our lives that once a week that we say, we are going to come and we're going to come to God's house and we're going to do something different. We just, because a change is as good as a rest, don't you know that? We're going to do something that's different. People like Mark go and walk the dogs on a beach somewhere. People like Ian go up the mountains. Other people like to walk on a beach. Other people just like to lock themselves in a garage and tinkle with a vintage car. Other people, all kinds of things that all kinds of random people want to do, that is their time that they carve out for rest for a weary soul so that for the rest of the six days they can be inspiring, fun people to be around. And then lastly, as well as putting that Sabbath in, can we create some special time, maybe once a quarter, that we create our own little extended Sabbath called a sabbatical, Maybe if you can, you know, I know it's really difficult with some people economically to try and get time off to, to go away or to go on holiday or, or to do all of those things, but trying to carve out time. I was traveling with Brenda this morning in the car, my wonderful mother-in-law. I was traveling with her down in the car this morning. She was talking with me about, you know, different things. She says, you know, some people are just so busy, Brenda said to me. <laughs> They're just so busy, they don't even find time to do things for free. She says, there's nothing I like more than sometimes just to jump in the car and somebody will take me down or, or whatever. And she said, they will go off for a walk and I'll be in Saundersfoot on the beach and I'll be sat on a bench and they'll have gone off for a walk. I just get time to be by myself there on my own. And then I'll have the ride home and then, and then I'll come. Some people don't even find the time to do things that cost very, very little. And you know what? She's right. If you come to our house, you'll see that Brenda quite often takes time to sit on a little hammock that's at the back. Her legs, God bless her, they're so short, they very, <laughs> very hit the floor. But you'll see Brenda out on that little hammock. You'll see her there for the best part of an hour, finding rest. Because she could rest inside, couldn't she? Watching daytime TV? That's not rest. Finding time to just collect our thoughts. I don't know the reason she does it. It's because she does it because that's the Watkins lifestyle. Ivion used to go for a walk with a dog. Did he? Did he? That was rest. He used to go fishing. Was it about the fish? <coughs> I don't think it was about the fish. Mark walks those beaches. It's not about the beach. It's about being present when he's there of being able to look around and smell the air. Hopefully it's not in Port Talbot that he's walking. 
smell the air, take in the senses and the sights, being present in that moment. Because I can tell you, Mark's fall is nowhere to be found when he's walking on that beach. Can we do those things in our lives? So sometimes, what we need to do in closing is to turn to God and to say, God, when we shout out like Sarah, Sarah does, Lord, will you pick me up? Lord, will you carry me? Lord, can I have a piggyback? That instead of crying those cries, we begin to step back from life and start the day with God and begin to revisit it all and say, Lord, I'm going to start with you so that by the end of the day, I don't need a piggyback no more because that's what Mark was teaching us earlier. That's the faith that's made of gold. For we know that suffering builds perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. But we've got to have rest in the middle of the storm. But I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. What most of us are thinking right now is it's, it's okay for him to say. Isn't it? That's what we do in a moment like this where God is challenging us to his word. You should see what my life is like. I have. You are too busy not to pray, church. You are too busy not to be able to do this stuff. You are too, too busy and too valuable for God to not be starting the day with Him and saying, God, will you come and will you sustain my soul? And I'm going to give you not just 15 minutes to start the day every day, oh Lord, but I'm going to give you a week, one day a week. I'm going to take that one day a week. I'm going to make it special. I'm going to make it special because you blessed it and you separated it at Genesis 2 verse 3 and gave it as a pattern for our lives so that we can live today in the victory that that gives us for us to be free. So that, Lord, I will be so strengthened by rest that when other people are crying, Lord, will you pick me up? I'll pick them up too. When they are crying, Lord, will you carry me? I'll have so much energy that I'll carry them too. And when they are shouting out, Lord, can I have a piggyback? You'll grab them and give them a piggyback too. Because we'll be living a life of fun, living a life of celebration, living a life that is full of rest and full of meaning because we have learned finally that God wired us to work out of rest. I've run out of time and I can't share the scripture that I wanted to uh, at the end, but I'd encourage you, read Hebrews 4 when you get home. Read Hebrews chapter 4 when you get home today. You see, in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks of a fulfillment of Scripture that we see through the pattern. It starts in Genesis 2 verse 3, 
And then there's a story that's told in Numbers 13, where remember the spies are sent out to the promised land and they come back and Caleb and the rest of them say, yes, it's really good, we should go, but all the people are disobedient. They say, no, we can't, there's too many giants, there's too many obstacles, there's too many this, too many that, and they don't go. And what happens as a result of that, God is so disappointed with them and what they have done that they end up living a life that is just full of turmoil for them instead of the promised land was theirs. And what was told, or this phrase is used in Numbers chapter chapter 13, where they never entered the rest. They never entered the rest. And you can read this interesting verse at the end of Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verse 10 and 11. You can read another reflection of it. It says, because they didn't trust God, they never entered the rest. Because the spies didn't trust God, that the giants weren't really that big. Because they didn't trust God, that the obstacles that he would take them away, that the Lord was on their side, because they never entered the rest and tried to do it in their own power, they never got the rest that was theirs. But what Hebrews 4 tells us is through the work of Jesus Christ, we now have divine rest. We now have a rest that's unlike the rest of the world. Because we have a faith that is steadfast and certain. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. We know the power of the Sabbath. We know the power of rest because it's in the manual for life. And if we're not doing it, we're not living a godly life. And we know that in doing this, God has given rest so that people talk to everybody in ABC and say, where do you guys get your energy from? We can say, I live a thriving life. And a thriving life begins with rest. Do you want me to tell you what that looks like? Turn to Hebrews 4 with me, and you can show them what rest looks like. Can I encourage you to do that? I'm going to turn over to Mark that is uh, going to challenge us with where we are with this subject in our lives. But can we really commit to trading some things that need to go and give the space for God today in order that we can live a truly thriving life? God bless you. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.